Hey, it's Nick Austin, and this week on Detroit Today, it's a special week because it's the week of our on-air fundraiser, a time where we not only reflect back on the things that we've been able to do because of your support, also thank you for allowing us to do what we do here and encourage you to become a member of Team DET because the conversations about Detroit and the people that make it special, like you, they don't happen without your support. You are a part of this community, and this is the opportunity that we have twice a year to not only remind you of that, remind you of some of those conversations, but replay, revisit some of the conversations that we are able to make happen. Like I said, this doesn't happen without your support. And As you value what we do here, I would encourage you, as we reflect on this conversation, to take a moment for what you enjoy. You can make a contribution, become a member of Team DET by going online at WDET.org slash give or calling 800-959-9338. That's our ask for you at whatever level makes sense for you. But while you do that, we still want to revisit some of the great programming that, again, you allow us to do as part of this team. So one of those great conversation continues now on the podcast. This is Detroit Today on 101.9. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. If there is one thing that Nandi Comer seems to be, it is busy. The Detroit native is a poet and someone who is super active in an awful lot of community writing and artistic scenes. She's worked with various organizations, including the really wonderful Inside Out Literary Arts Projects. She has served as a curriculum developer and youth curriculum consultant for a lot of arts organizations, and she has a writer-in-residence in Detroit public schools. And she now currently works as the director of the Adelaide Media Project Speakers Bureau and as the co-director of Detroit Lit, a program that provides reading and professional development opportunities to narrative makers of color here in Detroit. But that is not all she is going to be doing, because recently Nandi Comer was named to be the first poet laureate in the state of Michigan since the 1950s. I'm really pleased to have Nandi here in in the studio with us to discuss what drives her work, how Detroit influences her art, and what she makes of Michigan having a poet laureate once again. Nandi Comer, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, and congratulations on being named the Poet Laureate for the state of Michigan. I wanted to hear how you reacted when you learned that that you would be our next Poet Laureate and that uh, you'd be the first one since the 1950s. (laughs) Well, um, Well, I've known a little bit. I've known a little bit longer than the rest of the state, and when they called and sent me emails, I was just very much floored because uh, when they when I was a finalist when I was named as a finalist I thought oh there's no way that I'll I'll get this this is more like a a, a lifetime achievement kind of uh, <laughs> acknowledgement and then when they told me that they were really interested in having me fulfill the position it really really was an honor it shocked floored me and then when every time anyone says it like Nandi Comer 
the Michigan Poet Laureate, I still feel something in my stomach like, oh, wow, that's me. (laughs) So, yeah. So when they called you, uh, did they explain what the expectation might be for this this role? I mean, given that we haven't had one since Mm -hmm. the 1950s, I guess I'm kind of curious about what the what the aim is here. Well, um, one of the things that uh, I think folks should know is that the the position is um, spearheaded by the Michigan Department of Education, mm-hmm. the governor's office, and the Library of Michigan. So there is a very big focus on thinking about the youth and thinking about education and how young writers will be influenced and shaped um, through this work. And so we actually ha- worked collaboratively to design what the position looks like because you, no one has done this before. It's been 60 <laughs> right. years. You can't so. even talk to somebody <laughs> well, who you wouldn't, know, would remember what we did. I've been you know, talking to laureates around the country and we talked to some people that have been on selection committees and discussed like, what that actually looks like in other states. But we really wanted to think about what Michigan needed, what did Michigan youth need. And so a lot of the position, the formal kind of position, because there's just so much that I want to do outside of what the state has asked me to do. But a lot of the formal um, responsibilities will be to visit schools and libraries all over the state, both in the Upper and Lower Peninsula. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's kind of it's really exciting. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the work that you do now, I think, is is best described as trying to bring poetry to as many people as possible mm-hmm. to get people interested in it, to get people interested in doing it, it seems like uh, being the Poet Laureate is kind of a natural extension then, mm-hmm. really of that work and puts it on a much bigger platform, the entire state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, some people ask, how do I even get my own poems done? But um, <laughs> I really think that because I had really strong mentors and really strong supporters of my own work, I feel constantly like there has to be a way to support more writers coming down this path or to kind of give a more um, more clarity to how writers get shaped, especially in Michigan. I think that oftentimes we don't, in Detroit in particular, we just don't know how do we go from writing in our notebooks to getting a book. And so a lot of the time I really do love like pulling aside young and older writers and saying, these are some of the ways that you can get involved. This is how you do it on a local level. This is how you do it on a national level. And if you want an international opportunity. So, uh, you know, this doesn't really feel outside of the scope of the kind of work that I've been doing for a really long time. Yeah. So tell me about what led you to this work? Uh, I've known you and known your work for a bit, and I want to hear the story about how you become a poet. There's so many stages. Um, (laughs) It doesn't, I don't think it happened overnight for me. Um, I like to tell everyone that, you know, um, now I'm an avid reader, but when I was young, it was actually really quite hard because I was a slow reader. And I don't think I had a problem with comprehension. I just really sat down with with words and I just really was slow to take them in. So that meant that I was in the slow reading group and I didn't really think I could be, you know, that kind of fast paced reader and writer. Mm. And then um, once I got to high school, I had a teacher, Terry Blackhawk, who later became the founder of Inside Out Literary Arts Project that yes. a lot of people know. Yes. Um, and they she she started um, what was kind of the prototype 
of putting bringing writers and introducing her students to professional writers. And I remember meeting people like Peter Marcus and Leslie Reese, who are from the Detroit area, and just really um, understanding, oh, this is what this is what I actually can can do with my time. And but then I had a later and kind of the same time I had another mentor through there used to be a thing called the um, Summer Youth Employment Program, and they had the summer arts program mm-hmm. where they actually hired young artists to produce theatrical performances. And I enrolled in the writers program and I studied for the first time under Vivi Francis. And she took what I was doing in school where I was like, I think this is a poem. And she was mm-hmm. like, but is this the poem that you want to write? Is this what you actually feel or do? And she shifted. And along with other influences in the 90s, like the open mic scene, seeing Jessica Care more, being friends with people like Joe Fluent, well, Fluent, Joe Fluent mm, Green. Yes. And um, that all just really shaped kind of like my foundation for writing. And there's been so many more experiences since then. But those are like really those key moments in my high school years are what really started me into poetry. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting to hear you describe being a, yourself as being a slow reader, I, I, I was the same way. And in some ways, I still am. I, I labor over the words and the sentences and the structure and the meaning and, and sometimes read a sentence two or three times before I go on to the next one. And it's, you know, it's so unfortunate, I think, that sometimes people take that as about as being about ability or mm-hmm. interest, right? Uh, you're not someone who's just burning through mm-hmm. novels or 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 even uh, nonfiction works. I mean, you're somebody who's taking your time, and I think that's such a critical part of being someone who creates words and stories mm-hmm. and narrative is is that time and and taking it for yourself and not feeling guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think also um, something about being a part of a community can really foster your work, right? So I spoke about those two teachers, but then when I think back on um, the writers that were around me and the writers that my parents always had, they had a bookshelf. And I remember just like kind of robbing their bookshelf and taking (laughs) all their books with me to to college. But I remember um, like the year that I got a Kresge, I also got it. um, The eminent artist was... Gloria House. Mm-hmm. And it felt so natural because she had been in my life since I was a child doing the work that she was doing. And so it feels like Detroit does that. Like we just have writers all around. We're really strong poetry um, city. And so I don't think, I think that people in Detroit sometimes don't know just how amazing it is yeah. to just be around writers all the time. Yeah. Uh, and you gave a shout out to Terry Blackhawk and and Inside Out, and I want to hit that again. I mean, the the tremendous community that has grown up around that organization, uh, the number of young people who at this point have come through that and been mm-hmm. part of it and now make up uh, the poetry or 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 the other kinds of art scenes here in Detroit. It's just it's just mind blowing. Uh, I mentioned them last week when I had 
Tayama Jess on the program uh, because he's a big fan and and now you're here and you're I mean you're a, really a product of oh yeah I definitely I'm an alum I'm an alumna yeah I definitely um, and I go back often I'll be with them next month visiting some of their schools for their uh, publication parties and things like that I can't wait and that was. That was set up before the laureate announcement, but I, <laughs> it's just because I really do enjoy um, meeting young people right when they're at a moment of feeling like they need to express themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that poetry is a really incredible tool. I don't set out to make professional poets. What I set out to do is to make sure that a student knows that they have tools at their access to express themselves. And I'm not going to reach everyone. Some of them are going to find music as the way to do that, and some will find science. But it's really amazing when you find someone who didn't think that poetry could be that that outlet for them, and then you show them something that they didn't know was a, could be a poem, and they're like, oh, I see myself in that, and I want to tell my story too. Yeah, yeah. Seeing yourself in something it's it's such a key part of uh, becoming that kind of creator or or artist okay we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna continue this really wonderful conversation with nandi comer who is michigan's first Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined. I'm sitting here with Nandi Comer, who is the new Michigan Poet Laureate, also author of American Family Syndrome, as well as Tapping Out. We're talking about poetry. We're talking about Poet Laureate, uh, that role that has not been filled here in the state of Michigan since the 1950s and what Nandi will do in that role. Nandi, I do want to have you read for us um, uh, but I first want to talk about the role that music plays in uh, your work. Uh, when I when Tyan Bajess was here last week, I talked about for me that that being one of the most exciting parts of poetry, uh, the way that other artistic influences kind of overlap uh, so mm-hmm. often, uh, rhythm and pacing, uh, all of those things. Uh, as writers, uh, we borrow from other from other art forms. Uh, and I think poetry does that in really a magical way. But but uh, I, I want to hear you talk about uh, why music is such an important part of your work. Um, I know at one point, uh, sometimes when I'm revising my work, I revise for a lot of different things, punctuation, clarity. But sometimes I just want to see if it sings. Mm. Um, literally. The, right? Literally, <laughs> like... A, the muscle music of the language. I really want to see if I can press into the language so that someone who is reading it can take it, read it out loud, and really get a sense for the original sound that I was thinking of when I was writing the work. Um, I mean, poetry, we think of it now as being like kind of a stuffy art form that is tucked away in books, but it has always been an an oratory kind of spoken spoken art form from like wherever you want to draw from. You can draw from the um, ancient Arab Arab, um, influence of like the the huzzle. You can 
look to griots that use the drum as a as a way of keeping time the lyre you can just all over the world the poet and the musician has always been tied and i even think about today's hip-hop artists mm-hmm. you know it's very um it's very like natural to think of the rhythm of the work now there are some poets who have other concentrations but for my own work i am thinking about lyric and how it is um giving giving depth within sound and meaning in the work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I always say that I learned as much about writing, and I'm not a poet, I'm a, a journalist, but I learned as much about writing from music and musicians, especially when I was a teenager, um, as I did from from other other writers. Uh, the, the, the kind of pacing and phrasing uh, of, of a Miles Davis, for instance, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. has a real uh, connection to the way that I pace and phrase words uh, on a page or, or, or Paul Simon. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, a, a really broad range of music was really the foundation for me. And I think that's pretty common mm-hmm. among, among writers. Yeah, I mean, um, I can definitely, someone asked me about the influences on my writing when I was writing my um, first full-length collection. And yeah, I spoke to poets, but I was also speaking to like it, the poems have a lot to do with my time in Mexico, so Mexican corridos. But like my poems have always been um, influenced by music. I remember in like the 90s in high school being like headphones on, sitting in front of my boombox, listening to the score by the Fugees on repeat, <laughs> just trying to figure out how I was going to really reconcile this problem I had in a poem. So yeah, I definitely have moments where I just like, Sometimes I'm just listening to one song on repeat while I'm writing a poem. And sometimes it's in silence, but it just, it is important to me, the music of the poem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What would you like to read for us, Nandi? I'm going to read a fairly new poem. Um, It's not um, actually published anywhere yet. I've read it in public before, but I've been thinking a lot about stories and Detroit stories. And so... One time I was brought into a TV writer's room who they were writing a show about Detroit that never, it never actually came <laughs> to uh, the light of day. But the, one of the executives asked that the last question was, what do you feel like people get wrong when they try to tell stories about Detroit? So that's the title mm. of the poem. Yeah. What do you feel like people get wrong when they try to tell stories about Detroit? Everything. The calligraphy of a burned rubber joyride scrolled and spinning at every street corner, driving out of the way to get to your familiar corner store. The murals memorializing our loss or towering the towering face of a woman rocking an old English D as big as your face. Everything. You've forgotten 6 a.m. tamales in Southwest, West Side bare knuckle fight clubs, If you aren't careful, you will miss the bedazzled cluster of red hat club ladies gathered for third Sunday brunch. Or you might miss the buzz of a rainbow casino beckoning young thirsty beggars. Outside, never say river. And you are an outsider. Say it. If you only see the motor, you might forget gators and Coney Islands. Every sag and our old porch is from the weight of a good grill or a nighttime rib cookout. 
There is a street where a man has spilled shoes around a collection of vacuums. He lives in a polka-dotted house. We call it home. Careful not to forget our affinity for the elaborate and bright. Our weekend outfits are laced in gold-gilded shine. Everything you are thinking is not enough. Every shrub, every face, every burnout building is not a conjuring to be storied. We are a slighted bunch, a forgotten myth. Come, sit in our open-faced burger of a city. Find the fantasy between our children's teeth and a summer torrential storm. Where is your story? Take a seat. Listen. Wow. Wow. I love that line. If you only see the motor, you might forget. Gators in Coney Island. <laughs> it's such wonderful imagery. Uh, the imagery throughout that poem, in fact, is just uh, it's so vivid. It's like you're painting, not writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about the national narrative of Detroit and then how many individual stories are lost in the national narrative. And so I've been writing a lot, trying to write to those those details that we all know mm-hmm. in our city. That we live. Yeah, we live them. And so, yeah. yeah. Is, this, is this part of another book coming? I don't want to speak that <laughs> out just yet. There are some other projects that I'm working on, too. So <laughs> um, I, this may show up somewhere, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also don't know that I'm completely done with it yet. I was really, I just wanted to share something that... Revision, right? Yeah. Uh, that's an important part of the process, mm-hmm. too. And and I think not, not an acknowledged part of the process oh. often, often yeah. enough, right? Revision is... I would say 95% of the writing, if you have not thought to revise, then you're not done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they come easy, <laughs> but sometimes, a lot of times they come with work. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to Janice in Detroit. Janice, welcome to the show. Hello. Good morning to everyone. Thank Hi. you for taking my call. Sure. I'm, I know that a lot of your conversation, Ms. Comer, has been focused on youth, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing, but... I'm 73, and I really, really enjoyed having Inside Out. Susanna Honda came to Hannon House, and she reawakened something I thought was long gone in my life, and that's uh, my love of writing poetry. I did when I was younger, and I remember sending in a poem to a magazine. I didn't even have it on a typewritten paper. I just hand wrote it and sent it in. I know it went in somebody's file 13. But Susanna, (laughs) through Inside Out, gave us an opportunity to really have our poems. She really inspired us so much. And many of us were, were writers already and had quite a grand collection. So I just because we're older doesn't mean that we are run yeah. out of juice. It gives us wonderful oh. opportunity to recall, revisit, and speak our lives again. Yeah, yeah. Janice, yeah. what a wonderful, what a wonderful thought, and I'm so glad you called and and shared that. Poetry is for everyone. Uh, no, no question about that. Uh, Nandi, we're going to run out of time, but I know you want to talk a little about the idea of a. Detroit poet laureate. We don't have one. Do you think we should? <laughs> well, I just want to, I, I think that it's, uh, we've gone 60 years without a Michigan poet laureate. And I really would be really sad if Detroit went 
60 years yeah. without a, a poet laureate. I um, grew up uh, benefiting from the projects and from like the contest we um, that uh, Naomi Long Magic mm-hmm. uh, spearheaded. And I've read a lot of the work that she helped to usher into the world through her press. And I really think that she was we, the city's poet laureate. Yes, yeah, she was yeah. a city. She was yeah. a city's poet laureate. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, we lost her. She passed away recently and the city has a vacancy. And mm. I really am looking forward to not only seeing the city choose the poet laureate, but I'm looking forward to working yes. with that person yes. when they are appointed. So I would say, please, let's get it going. Let's, let's get going let's on that. Let's get going on yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Nandi Comer, it's always great to see you uh, and really great to have you as Michigan's poet laureate now. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. If you like this show, you get a lot out of it. You ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors relative anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.